Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you once again from beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to episode nine. This is a conversation with Ethan Fisher of Golf House, Kentucky, uh, discussing his experiences attending and graduating uh, from the PGA Management Program at Eastern Kentucky University. Yes, that is a thing. Uh, his journey to get there and where it's taken him since graduating. We also cover what he's seen in the sport and the business from his position at our state golf association, um, the evolution of golf media in places like Kentucky, and where he hopes to escape to once we all get the all clear. Uh, before then, a reminder that the Blind Shots podcast is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of Shows. You can find their whole portfolio at TalkingGolf.com. Uh, you can find great golf podcasts there, including The Thing About Golf podcast. That's with Rod Morey. Uh, the most recent episode was with a man that any golfer should know, Michael Clayton. Uh, their conversation is a real treat. If you love golf, if you love golf, Clayton is the one that you want telling the stories. Give it a listen over at TalkingGolf.com. As always, you can interact with this show on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. You can find my thoughts and writings online at OneBeardedGolfer.com. And you can interact with me directly on Twitter at OneBeardedGolfer. I'm also on Instagram under that handle. Uh, this show now has an Instagram account. Uh, tr we'll try to do better about updating that more diligently. But check that out sometime. And as always, anything pertinent mentioned in the show, I will try to have links in the show notes. This one will be chocked full. You can find that easily over on the blog at onebeardedgolfer.com. A reminder, this podcast is sponsored by me and me alone. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. That's a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate. I work both with homeowners buying and selling homes and also with investors and businesses on commercial properties here in central Kentucky. You can find me at davidhill.rhr.com. Reach out, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to discuss your real estate needs or questions whenever you have the time. And now back to Ethan. Our conversation delves into how he found his way to Eastern Kentucky, literally uh, and figuratively at Eastern Kentucky University. Uh, we profile what a PGA management college program is, what it does, uh, who it might be right for, and why it can be more valuable than just for aspiring golfers. Uh, we move forward through what he's been doing since graduating, how the program has helped him prepare for a career in golf, um, helped him invent a position that he now occupies at Golf House Kentucky. Uh, for those that don't know, we have a unified golf organization here in Kentucky, our state association, so state championships, our state professional association for PGA pros, club pros, tournaments, and administration, and the charitable foundation are all housed together. They all share common staff. I think they have separate boards of directors, uh, but there's a certain efficiency there sharing staff under one physical office location. So we're a little unique, and we actually discuss that uh, in more detail in the interview. Um, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about with regard to a PGA management program, until several years ago, I had no idea either. I didn't know that it existed. I didn't know that you could go to college for golf. Not just to play golf. I'm not talking about joining the golf team, but actually learning the golf business. Um, I actually had to go all the way to Orlando to go to the PGA merchandise show and one of the first booths when I walk in, walk in that massive um, trade show complex and I look to my left and there's an EKU banner. It's like, oh, funny meeting you here. So I've been wanting to talk about this uh, and get the details on this ever since. It's a fun conversation. It's a little bit all over the place. Uh, but again, I hope it shines a light on something that might help someone with a passion for golf. Uh, maybe it'll spark something with you. If you have a child or a grandchild or a neighbor uh, that you think might really want to get into golf. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. It was a fun one for us to do. Without any further delay, here's Ethan Fisher. And now I'm joined by Ethan Fisher of the Kentucky Golf House, or I guess Golf House Kentucky, uh, which is 
the Kentucky Golf Association, the Kentucky Professional Golf Association, the Kentucky Golf Foundation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anybody else under that umbrella? That is it. Those three. You've got it covered. Okay. And you are, what is your title with them these days? I'm the director of communications and marketing. So I got brought in February of 2019. The position didn't exist beforehand. So I'm, as of right now, 14 months into having that job. Well, for all of us Kentucky golfers, let us. I'm glad you're there. I'm glad that position was created. Um, it is nice to have a social media presence and something that's quick and responsive if you need to reference anything about tournaments or just to watch what the uh, some of the championships are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's come a long way from where it was when I started paying attention to the KGA five years ago. Um, now, you are non-native. You're a transplant. Where are you from, Ethan? That is correct. I am originally from Denver, Colorado. So, as we'll uh, touch on, I went to EKU and did PGA golf management there. But, yeah, born and raised in the Denver area. And then parents moved to South Carolina. I came to Kentucky. So, I got uh, thrown into the South back in 2014. What's the most southern thing that you've encountered that you've liked that you wouldn't have expected? Sweet tea by far. Like I, <laughs> never, I never had it when I was in Colorado, and my mom is the most anti-sweet tea person you will find. <laughs> and then as soon as – I'm trying to think where I first had sweet tea. It was probably either Chick-fil-A or Raisin Cane. So I went to – one of those two had it, and I was like, well – that's a game changer. Yeah, it's it's not sweet until it makes your teeth hurt. So, you know, yes. that's a that's a really good <laughs> that's a good pickup for you. Yeah. Um now you are young enough just just for the listener's sake being a Colorado native and a sports fan. Uh do you remember a time that Todd Helton wasn't the greatest Rocky? Not for me since I was born in 1995. So, Larry Walker was just before I could like fully comprehend the whole sports thing. So Todd Helton was who I grew up with, the Todd father, and then transitioned to Troy Tulowitzki and now Noel Arenado. Yes. We're, as a St. Louis fan, I have a particular affection for Arenado <laughs> in the future, but I digress. I, I hope it doesn't happen if there's a – I mean, it definitely won't happen if there's no baseball being played. So I guess from that standpoint, it keeps him in Colorado a little longer. <laughs> Pick your battles, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, did you grow up playing golf? Is, is golf in your family? So I began playing golf when I was 12 years old. I always had an interest in it because my dad loves to watch golf on TV, hasn't played nearly as much, though, ever since I was born. So I would see it on TV, not like truly get into it. But then, like I said, when I was 12, which was in 2008, I began playing golf because at this point I had lost interest in soccer and tennis which were my two main sports growing up so i started playing golf i started watching golf a lot more carefully and i got hooked so ever since june of 2008 it's just been my number one thing and fortunate enough now to call it a career as well as a hobby so yeah it's been it's been real good to me nice um, you know, Kentucky is a diverse state. We stretch all the way from central Appalachia all the way over to the Mississippi River where things are as flat as a desk. Mm-hmm. Um, just for people that haven't been to that part of the country, describe your more typical golf sort of geography or experience in Colorado that you know might be different than what we'd find here. Um, I think it's more similar than what people might realize, whereas in Kentucky, the farther east you go, the more mountainous terrain you encounter, and the farther west you go, it's more flat. It's the exact opposite in Colorado. Obviously, you've got the Rocky Mountains out west, so when you head out that way, you've got um, one of the most unique kinds of golf areas that you'll find in the country, and then when you go to eastern Colorado, it's as flat as a pancake, basically just an extension of Kansas. So you've got a lot of 
lot of different topographies that you'll find in Colorado. Obviously, you've got a place like Ballyneal way out in northeast Colorado, which is one of the top 50 golf courses in the country now. But, I mean, when you think of Colorado golf, that's not the area you think of at all. You think of stuff in the mountains. Right. And that's... I wouldn't have suspected before I started following kind of golf course architecture and and looking at courses, I wouldn't have, I guess, expected or or realized that exactly what you're saying. Colorado really has a diversity from, um, you know, the plains and kind of the sand hill. I mean, up there in Valley Neal, you're almost in a sand hills region like Nebraska. Um, all the way up into, you know, the the architects that you don't hear their names around here as much. one of Derek Duncan over at Feed the Ball has a, had a great interview with a guy, and I can't remember who it was, but said every little region, every little pocket of the country, you know, for the last 50 years has had their their own kind of knockoff of Robert Trent Jones Sr. and their own kind of knockoff of Pete Dye. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can kind of look around at the courses here in central Kentucky, and it's dominated by two or three local guys that have built most of the courses. And you can find they're all pretty similar. Uh, every once in a while you'll get something fancy. Uh, we've got a few gems that are hidden. But, yeah, that Colorado isn't all mountains it was a nice wake-up call the first time I went out there. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. There are places in Denver where you can go that are flat as a pancake like i alluded to earlier but then you go half an hour and it's up and down sideways you you name it you've got everything going on so if you go to the denver area any type of golf you're looking to find you'll probably be able to find it okay interesting uh now you mentioned that you went to ek or that you went to eku you are a proud alum of their PGA golf management program is that mm-hmm. is that specifically what brought you east to Kentucky yeah so to go back when I was in high school I was trying to figure out what I was going to major in like every high schooler and for a while I thought that I would go into journalism because I wanted to be in sports writing get into that line of work and then I don't remember how I found it, but I was looking through the internet one day and I found out that this PGA golf management thing existed. And I looked into it and there are, well, at the time there were about 20, 21 schools that had it. Now it's 18. But I went through that list of 20 some schools and picked out the pros and cons of what I was looking for in my college experience. So It got narrowed down to Eastern Kentucky, Clemson, and the University of Idaho. So my parents live in South Carolina now, like I touched on. And if it wasn't for the fact that I would be an out-of-state student technically my first year or so there, there's a good chance I would have gone to Clemson. But it's so much money to go there out-of-state that – it just didn't add up and it was a little big for my liking anyway. So I didn't even visit Clemson. I realized it probably wasn't going to do. And then with Idaho had my parents and I stayed in Colorado, then there's a pretty good chance I would have gone there because I liked what they had. It's a beautiful campus. Now, granted, there's nothing else within miles of university of Idaho's campus, but it was, it was nice their program was good, so it was definitely on the list, but EKU was the last school that I visited, and I was out in Richmond October of 2013, and I really came to love the PGM program right from the get-go. The staff treated me very kindly. I was quite taken back by it. Um, the campus itself was really nice, and it was the first time I'd ever been in Kentucky when my dad and I got off the flight, so I had no clue what to expect. And, you know, obviously, since I went straight from Colorado to Kentucky and South Carolina, there's a bit of culture shock that goes on, but sure. <laughs> it, uh, it, it came around pretty quickly, and I've always said that it's the best decision excuse me i've ever made to come to eku and i'm awfully glad i did 
Now you mentioned that you you came for the program specifically. You know that's and that's the program actually is a part or I guess a subset of a marketing marketing degree. That's a that's a far cry from sort of a journalism focus or a right. creative writing focus. Was that something you could within the program you still kind of had room and time for electives to to use, or is that something that you kind of put on the back burner once you went down this avenue? I definitely put the journalism to the side, and I know there are people who have had minors that do the PGM program as well at EKU and other schools, but I think it's more often when you're a transfer student or you've got some type of degree and then come to EKU for PGM when you're able to do that because there is a lot of courses that you need to take with the program. So I didn't have really the, I guess, the freedom mentally to go into a minor just because it wasn't, I'm trying to figure out how to put it. It wasn't the amount of work that I personally was willing to put in. Now there are others who could definitely do it, but it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. And at that point I was pretty sold on the route I was taking and it worked out. Um, you know, you get a marketing degree, a bachelor's to be exact, and the official wording is a concentration in PGA golf management. So you uh, you get your business degree, and I remember my dad telling me that that was a big deal when it came to looking at EKU because, you know, you get a business degree if the golf thing doesn't work out, then you've got a lot of opportunities to fall back on by having that in your back pocket. So knowing that, I kind of trusted that guidance and it worked out. And then as far as the whole journalism thing goes, since I ended up getting into a job that requires a lot of writing, I'm kind of meeting that aspiration too with this position that I'm in. Well, and that's yeah. You're getting a not even apprenticeship. You're just you're you're doing the job of communications and writing, which is which has got to be nice. Now, I want to back up a little bit. Where you came to EKU, it's a, a a concentration in golf management. Were you a part of the golf team, or was that a, a prereq for getting into the PGM at EKU? No, at EKU, there's a pretty strict guidance right from the get go that. If you're a male, you can only do one or the other. You can't do the golf team and the golf management program. There have been a couple of girls who have done both, but like just in the conversations I've had with them, I knew that it was a lot that they had on their plate. And, you know, I can definitely see why they try to make it so clear from the get go that it's almost impossible to do both just because of the amount of things you have to do. Is that part of the the out of the class, the internships and those sorts of things that make it difficult or just the, the time commitments with playing and, and school? It's the time commitment. So with the golf management program, you've got things that you have to do outside of the classroom to satisfy their requirements. And obviously the golf team does as well along with playing, traveling for tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's not something that I would recommend anyone ever do. I highly doubt that they'll ever let anyone play both on the men's golf team and do the program. And if they did, I bet it would be a very difficult process. Gotcha. Uh, what, just the, the Cliff's Notes version, what is the – PGM component to the degree? Like what makes it unique to golf management? So I guess the easiest way to put it is that you've got three levels in golf management. And in each level, you have about three or four classes that you have to take with an exam on each of them to get through that level. So in level one, you've got your introduction to the PGA of America business planning, customer relations, and an introduction to teaching with a golf game. So once you meet that level, you're on to the next one, and it's 
same thing with levels two and three. And in addition to that, you have to pass the playing ability test. And I'm sure a lot of people are probably familiar with it, but it's 36 holes in one day and you have to shoot a target score. So at a place like University Club at Arlington, where EKU naturally does a lot of their PATs, you have to shoot, I believe it's 156 in those 36 holes, so two rounds of 78. And if you do that, you're good, you're done. You never have to worry about it again for as long as you're a PGA member. But until you do, you've got to keep taking it. And like I passed it on my fifth try, and I, it depends on the state you're in, but typically doing a PAT costs somewhere around. 125 to $150. So it's not cheap to do time after time. And it can really add up, obviously. Yeah, especially as a student when you're on a, a college right. budget. That's that's a month worth of entertainment right there. Yeah. Um, now, so you mentioned sort of the classes. Um, so it sounds like there was a mix of of some skill development for things that you need inside the industry, but I'm assuming the out of class work were networking opportunities, probably kind of a, a more amount, a little less structured um, as far as internships or was it, was that pretty structured as well? With the internships, it's very structured. Okay. Um, the PGA has a requirement that you have to satisfy 16 months of internship credit. And each school breaks those 16 months into different segments. So at EKU, you do three months after your freshman year, three months after your sophomore year, three months after your junior year. And then after your senior year, you do seven months. And like I mentioned, other schools break it up into different ways, but I'm biased since I went through it, but I do believe that's the best way to do it just because you're going from spring semester to your summer off where you'd most likely be working anyways, and then you just get right back to it in the fall. And with the internships, they've changed what you can do to a certain extent. I'm not exactly sure what you're allowed to do in certain internships now. But for me personally, I did my first internship at a golf course in Colorado. I went back there for a summer. And then I realized after that that, you know, being a head pro, it wasn't meant for me. Like I could see the benefits to it, but I was like, this wouldn't fit. I'm not meant to do that. So since I'm a big golf fan, I've decided, well, I'm trying to get into tournament operations. So I went to the Southern Ohio PGA section, my second internship, and I did a lot of junior golf tournaments along with some professional events in between Cincinnati and Columbus. My third internship, I wanted to kind of try out the whole writing thing just because I had done some sports writing in the past and I was like, you know, it's really now or never. If I'm going to jump on it, I've got to figure out a time to do it before I leave college. So I worked with PJ Magazine that summer. And then my final internship, it was almost a cross of sorts between the second and third internships. I went to Houston and worked with the Southern Texas section as their media intern. So I was going to a lot of the tournaments that they do, and I was doing the social media, the press releases, anything communication related for those tournaments. And then that segued into what I do now with Golf House. You know, I'm I'm curious what the size of the the program is at EKU, and I'm thinking, you know, you just named several different entities that had a diversity of jobs and, and skill sets needed. Um, I'm just thinking of how many students and interns are available versus how many positions at associations and courses and things across the country. Can you give folks an idea of kind of what that ratio is? At EKU, there's typically between 80 to 90 students in all classes. And so you break it down, it's about 20 per class. My class was a little smaller. We graduated with 12, I believe. And, you know, when you think about it, you've got thousands of golf courses out there. You've got 
18 pro golf management programs, I mean, there's a higher amount of golf courses than there are interns. And I'm in the minority of people who were looking into internships outside of golf courses. So, you know, generally I was able to find those pretty easily. And then the candidate pool was a lot smaller for those jobs. Okay. Well, that's that's a competitive advantage. Um, yeah. Smart looking there. Um, now, you talked about the PAT, and that's part of getting certified as a, a PGA pro. If I read correctly, if you graduate from the, the program, you are eligible to, to be a Class A PGA professional right out of the gate. Is that right? Correct. So really the only caveat to it is that you have to be employed before you become a member. So in my case, I graduated, truly graduated December of 2018. I had completed all my classes. I had done all the internships. So December 2018, I was graduated, but I did not become a PGA member until March 2019 because I didn't start working with Golf House until February. And then you've got to submit the paperwork with like who you are, a background check, the whole nine yards and then once all that gets approved then you're elected to membership so there's a not an exact jump in terms of like getting your degree and your membership so in my case i had to wait a couple of months for a lot of people who have jobs lined up right away it essentially becomes membership right as soon as they graduate well that's got to be a, a nice advantage over somebody that's you know, maybe on the golf team, for example, that goes through the process and, you know, goes to school or even out of high school, and then they've got to put in the hours and do all the internship hours. Uh, yeah. That's got to be a nice aspect of the, the program. Yeah. Um, one of one of my friends who I met in Texas, he, he and I talked about this a lot. He's on a golf team there, and he wants to be a PGA member afterwards. But, you know, in his case, he – He'll have done his four years of college, he'll graduate, and then he'll have to do work at a golf course for a few years until he's able to apply for PGA membership. And there's nothing wrong with that, but again, I'm I'm biased. I killed two birds with one stone. I did my college career. I worked at some great places each summer, and uh 23, I was a PGA member and had it out of the way. Didn't have to worry about it. So you were an early early adopter there. How old were you, you know, just thinking about your friend being on the golf team and you not? When did you realize pro golf wasn't in your future, the playing of professional golf? Pretty quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's no way I could have played D1 college golf when I graduated high school. I wasn't anywhere near good enough and programs pgm programs that is they've got different requirements of the playing level you have to have when you come in so at eku i think you have to be maybe a 15 handicap whereas other places you have to be more like a five handicap to get into those schools so i've had no aspirations of playing college golf once i realized that I was never going to be that good of a player that quickly to do that. So it made it easy for me in that sense. That's that's not messing around, being a five handicap. I mean, I, I had no idea what a uh, an average high schooler's handicap would be, but that's just being a washed-up 40-something playing golf. That's something I aspire to for crying out loud. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean – it tends to be more of the name brand universities that have that. Like I think Clemson falls into that category uh, since EKU isn't a recognizable name in the West Coast. They don't – they really can't have it anything right. lower than that. And just for for, pe- for perspective for listeners, you know, the, the schools that offer this program range from – Everything from EKU and places like Campbell, mm-hmm. um, I know Coastal Carolina, Methodist, uh, you know, over in the Carolinas, all the way up to places like Mississippi State, Penn State, you know, Nebraska, UNLV. 
you know, those are some some competitive golf schools. Penn State maybe not as much. They're just too far north. But um, yeah, so there's a little bit of it, it's available for a little bit of everybody. Now you mentioned that with all those internships, you ended up at a place that you had an internship. You went basically straight from EKU to Golf House Kentucky. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, the internship in Texas in between, but yeah. Okay. And so you survived the program. You've got a a job that was basically created for you. Now, you told me this story off air. Tell folks a little bit about how the director of communications and marketing, you know, kind of evolved, how that. Right. So Brent Palladino was the executive director at the time when I got hired. And during the latter part of my internship in Houston, I was obviously starting to look toward what I was going to do after I completed that. And I reached out to Brent because I had talked to him before during my time as a student at EKU. And I was actually reaching out to see if he knew of any PGA Tour tournaments that were hiring for any positions. And he told me that he did know of a couple, but he was like, you know, this is a well-timed email. I'm actually beginning the early stages of creating a position of communication slash marketing here at Golf House. And I had that on my radar back in September of 2018, I believe. And for the next few months, I was just kind of waiting to see how that progressed. And once it officially got approved that they were going to have it, I think it was December at that point, right as I was leaving Houston. And I, I was applying for different jobs and I actually did get one job offer at a golf tech in Colorado that would have been more instruction based. But I, I told them that there was just no way I could take it because I knew this opportunity was coming open and it felt like it was tailor made for me. And I gambled, I declined a job that I could have had for a job that I might not get, but thankfully it all worked out. Um, I remember just the fact that, you know, with three different organizations under one umbrella, um, it's very difficult for there to not be someone in my position sending out different communications since you've got three different organizations to focus on. And that's kind of what brought about the creation of the position. And I was blessed enough to be able to be chosen to do it. And Yes, and you mentioned the three organizations that we, we led off there with. And it's my understanding Kentucky's pretty unique with that. We have our amateur sort of state championships run by the same people, essentially the same organization that runs the uh, professional tournaments that does you know support for the, the Kentucky section of PGA professionals, and then also that also runs the, the charitable wing. Um, uh, I guess the, the golf foundation, the charitable mission, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, how does that, how does the experience of having one staff like that compare to the, the other places that you worked where the, the amateur game and the professional game were segregated? You know, it's very interesting. Obviously I was an intern at Southern Ohio and Southern Texas. So there's a lot thrown at you and you've only got a few months to kind of digest everything. But I never truly understood even during those internships, how they worked with their golf associations. Texas has the Northern Texas PGA and the Southern Texas PGA, and then the Texas golf association, which covers the whole state. And then in Ohio, you've got uh, the Northern and Southern Ohio PGAs, and you've got, like, I think it's four different golf associations there. So I had never really understood how it all intertwined. And then once I came to Golf House and was then working at a place that's both the PGA section and the golf association, it became a lot more clear. And, you know, I'm obviously biased when I say this, but I think it's 
by far and away the best way to do it because we've got all the same staff members. We know what's going on just as well with the professional side as we do the amateur side. Our board of directors from both the KPGA and KGA, they're in the office pretty frequently and they're making sure they're on the same page. And I say this knowing that other states certainly have to do it as well just to stay on the same page but it's easy for us since we're in one house literally and figuratively and we can just have all this done in our walls it's not like we have to go to different offices to get this done right and i wonder if one if that's a function of just the size of golf in kentucky you know i think i don't know if where we stand relative to sort of other interior states. Um, but you know, one of the nice things has got to be we have a professional staff here. You and your colleagues there at Golf House Kentucky you know, are professional people. As far as you know, do other associations, I'm thinking I guess more of the statewide associations, are they able to fund professional staff as well, or is there a volunteer element to it? Um, There's a mixture of both. Um like just in terms of state golf associations, I I think they use more volunteers than the average PGA section would. But at the same time, the sections have to utilize volunteers as well. And you've got some PGA professionals who work for state golf associations, even though they're governed by the USGA rather than the PGA of America. But you know, it's like I said, with with us, we get to share both and uh, kind of utilize both in the same way that it doesn't feel like there's any difference between the two after a certain amount of time. It's a nice pitch. Now, I'm going to ask you a two part question. One, and I'm going to go in reverse. One, what are you making this position? You know, what does a director of communications what does a, a daily grind look like for you in season? So in season, I'm going to different golf tournaments, whether it's an amateur event, a professional event, or a junior event. And I'm doing the social media for it, photography, and then I'm doing the press releases. So the preview that you see of the event beforehand, I'm doing that. And and then the post-round recap you get after each day, I'm doing that. So before I came on board, there wasn't anyone doing this exact stuff. There would be people who would do kind of a combination of these things. But now that it's solely my job, I look at it as, okay, if someone in Paducah is interested, interested in this tournament in Ashland, I want to make sure that they have all the things they need to feel like they're actually there at the event. Because if they know somebody there, then, I mean, they're obviously going to have an interest in what's going on. So I feel it's my job to keep them informed with what's going on. And then no offense to a game I love and a state I've lived in my whole life, but the Paducah Sun isn't sending somebody to cover that <laughs> tournament in Ashland. That's that's six hours for crying out loud. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially how I look at it from an in-season tournament perspective. Now, you know, I just thought of this, so I haven't prepped you for it, but, you know, that feels a lot like what we see or what you hear chatter about going on at the highest levels, how the PGA Tour is increases its share of marketing in-house as opposed to relying on independent media, you know, newspapers. How many newspapers in the country even have a golf uh, that will send their sports writers for that? Is that something you saw coming? Is that something you've just seen coming since you've gotten into the golf business? Or am I, is that something that's overblown on social media by the dinosaurs that may not have the access that they used to? I can't speak on the PGA Tour level since I've never worked anything to like that element. But at least for us, like we only get people from regional journals, newspapers, networks, whatever, if it's a big event, like the, the amateur or the open. For everything else, there's 
nobody coming out for that, but that doesn't make it any less important for the people playing. So, you know, when I, when I write something up, for instance, I'll send it to a media database that we've got on file and, you know, it doesn't matter to me if they end up incorporating or not, but, you know, it does give them the information of what happened. And if there's something that catches their eye, like, to our point earlier, if it's an Ashland tournament and someone from Paducah wins, hopefully someone from the Paducah Sun would notice and be like, oh, there we go, and reach out to me. So I guess from from that aspect, it does help our image in that it provides a little bit more ideas to what's going on, no matter what part of the state you're in. Well, as a as a golfer and as a now a parent of two potential golfers, that, that means a lot, just knowing that someone is out there trying to uh, keep people informed I mean I know I know from personal experience I played baseball was the last sport I had to give up and you know we I remember my dad and I would look through the the box scores and see you know friends at other schools or, or other you know areas I moved from Bowling Green to the Louisville area um, about junior high age so I'd want to be able to look back and see you know who was on the baseball team or who was on the golf team you know yeah. that's, that's um, you know, golf, golf didn't wasn't really high on the list. I, I remember being, you know, seeing professional golf box scores, but it's nice to know that somebody locally these events that do mean a lot to the players that that play in them. Um, again, I'm grateful that you're you're at the Kentucky Golf House. Now, here's the second part of my question I was talking about: seeing where you've landed and and creating a job that you know you've been able to make your own. Truly, what's the if a parent uh, sent you a kid that was potentially interested in the the PGM program and specifically the one at EKU. What's the what's the short sales pitch that they to let them know this is something they should do? The first thing is the fact that you get to learn everything there is to know about the golf industry. So we talked about it earlier how you get that business degree, but. You know, you're learning everything from the fundamentals of the golf swing to how to run a golf tournament. And then that introduction course that I spoke of earlier and that one, you're learning about the beginnings of the PGA Championship, the Ryder Cup. So you truly get to learn everything about your favorite sport. The next thing I would say is the fact that you meet just a ton of great people like for me personally, I've, I've met so many friends through the program, whether that was at EKU or on my internships. But, you know, I remember talking to one of my buddies, my coworker, Ray Molman, actually, one summer. And I was like, you know, it feels as if I've already got a lot more friends in college than I ever did in high school. And it's only been like a year or two here. And he was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And part of that's just because when you come into the golf management program, that golf common ground is there from the beginning. You are interacting with people who love the same sport you do, and it's easy to make friends. So when you just factor that in and the fact that the golf industry is like such a small world, it seems like everybody knows somebody all across the world, then you've got just a huge web of connections that can extend well beyond Kentucky, even the United States. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if there is anything else I would add, but that was a pretty good sales pitch. Those are (laughs) are certainly the two that come to mind. Um, now you being a, a golf professional, somebody that works in the industry, I know for a fact that means you don't get to play a lot of golf. That has been made clear to me in my experience with golf pros um, all around. How many times before all of this, the craziness began and things started closing, how many, how many times did you play golf this year? We had a nice warm winter. You know, I'm I'm soft, even though I'm from Colorado. If it's if it's under 40 degrees, I hate going out and playing, especially since Kentucky seems like it's one big wind tunnel yeah. during the winter. So I and soggy I re- too. Yeah, I I really do shut it down in the winter. But you know, during the average summer, 
I try to play at least 36 holes a week, um, whether that's, that's a couple way of above, nine. That's way above average. <laughs> whether it's a couple of nine-hole rounds after a day in the office or playing 18 during a weekend day, you know, I, I try to do that as much as I can. And, you know, I've, I've got that hook, like I talked about at the beginning, where I love the sport. I want to be around it all the time. And, you know, during the summer, even if I've been at a golf tournament for a week straight, I still want to be out there playing even the next day just because I don't want to just sit around on a beautiful day. So I try to take advantage of as much as I can and, you know, Part of the nice thing about being a PGA member is that since you get to meet all these people, they're extremely gracious about like letting me come out to their clubs and playing them. So tip of the cap to them because if it wasn't for their generosity, then I wouldn't play nearly as much as I do. Well, I think that's well earned. What's on your, you know, we're golf is open in Kentucky. Um, the city of Lexington actually just reopened this week. Uh, their courses have been shut down for about a month. So uh, hopefully people are getting out, taking advantage of it. Um, I talked to a, a buddy at a private club here. He said their rounds are up. You know, they stayed open. And with everybody being quarantined, their their rounds were up significantly, just bodies on the course. Um, you know, I don't know if, if you guys have the analytics to look at it. Have you, What have you noticed and what has – how has your job changed during our coronavirus battle where, uh, you know, golf never shut down in Kentucky, which was kind of an advocacy win? Yeah. So, I think ever since all this began, really the timing of it changed a lot because right now we'd be doing golf tournaments. We'd be getting into the swing of it. But, you know, as it was for anybody, regardless of what workforce you're in everything just changed so rapidly and you had to immediately adapt and change so much that you had planned so for us i went from beginning to laying the groundwork for tournaments what events i was going to go to to compiling information about resources available to both golfers and people who work in the golf industry just sending as much out as I could about who's who's doing what, how you can implement that at your golf course to keep others safe. And, you know, it's like it is for everybody. I mean, this is something we've never had to go off of before. So there's there's no standard on what has to be met. You just have to do whatever you can to serve people. And hopefully we've done a good job of that. Um, my executive director, Jeff Adkerson, and I, when this all started, we were talking daily about like what we could do, things that we could send out. Um, so, yeah, I hope that some good information has gotten out there. We're, we've done as much as we can to try and keep people informed of what's happening and what they can do to stay healthy and be out there and having fun. No, I think that's been a very valuable service in these times. Now, one organization that we haven't talked about, and I don't know if it even exists, is there a a local chapter, as far as you know, of a, a golf course owners association? You know, I'm trying to think if anybody was lobbying Frankfurt to, uh, you know, either from Kentucky Golf House or if there was uh, a cabal of owners that went and said, hey, we need to keep these courses open or anything like that. Do you know if we have a local chapter in Kentucky? I honestly have no idea on a local perspective okay. if there is one like that. I know that there is like a national like golf course owners association, but in terms of what there is in Kentucky, I would not be able to speak to it. Okay. Yeah, I know that was kind of out of left field, but just seeing because it, there's been a diversity of opinion across the states. A, a lot of states mm. have closed their golf totally. Yeah. Um, you know, we've as I mentioned, we locally here Lexington shut down its city courses, uh, but it didn't. It stayed silent as to privately owned clubs so right um you know the weather's been nice i'm glad people are out looks like the you know the few that i can drive around and see uh, people have been fairly safe which is nice yeah um, you know what when the when the travel restrictions get lighter i did a podcast on this a while back you know of daydreams and and how do we keep the, the golf dream alive 
And other than playing my local courses, you know, I'll play Kearney and Pickett probably 25 times each this year just because I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I if I got vaccinated tomorrow and could square it with a wife, I'd kiss the kids, hug the wife, hop in the car, drive to Southern Pines. You know, yeah. I, I'd play Mid Pines and Tobacco Road and some of those courses over and over again until I collapsed, yeah. come home. What's and you can't say Kentucky. You can't name a Kentucky course because we'll treat all your your constituents equal. <laughs> so they're they're off the picture. You get the all clear. Where are you going? Well, assuming that we get out of the pandemic at some point this year, one of my friends is going to be working at Bandon Dunes. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to go up there and have a little golf trip with him for a few days. And then on the local and more regional level, at least with some aspect of being realistic, I've mentioned this to you before, that Sweetens Cove is very, very intriguing to me. And it's been on my to-do list for a couple of years now to go down to Chattanooga and check it out. Hopefully one of these days I'll have the opportunity because it looks amazing. I'm with you. That, that's uh, Sweetens Cove is on my long overdue list, considering how relatively close it is for us. You know, people. Uh, I played nine holes last year with a guy headed back to Ann Arbor, and he had just done a day at Sweetens Cove. Just up and drove down there, played all day, spent the night, and then was heading home. So people make a pilgrimage out of it, and we're, you know, we're so close. We could almost do a day trip down there if we wanted. Yeah. So. That's that was on my 2020 to-do list. Uh, you know, I've got two friends that we would have played last week on their kind of spring break getaway um, that they just canceled for for obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, they've their rain check. They expect to cash in. It's like okay, we're we're trading three rounds in Central Kentucky for we're going to go down to Sweden's Cove. Like okay, that was a hard sell. Um, <laughs> you know, and those are you mentioned Bandon too. Those are two courses that have a that have such a strong social media presence. You know, you, you mm-hmm. can't be a part of quote unquote golf Twitter and not have seen some of those beautiful pictures of yeah. Sweetens Cove, of that coastline in Oregon, and even the interior stuff, banded trails. You know, that's just right. beautiful golf scenery. Um, yeah, that's good on you. You know, must be nice to be young. That's <laughs> yeah. You, you've got that in your favor. You can play. You can probably play 54 holes if you had to, and and walk upright the next day. Not not all of us have that luxury. Oh boy, I, I don't know now. Back back when I was in high school, maybe, but I already feel old at 24. I can't imagine what it's gonna be like when I get up to your age. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. I'll get Arenado, and you can crack old jokes. That, that's fine. I, yeah. I, well, that's a fair trade. Yeah, I like it. Ethan, you have, folks have no idea. You've given me way too much of your time, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, anything else you'd like to say? You can freestyle here. Any comments for the, the golfing universe and my family members? That's who listens to this. Um, like. Well, I guess, first of all, shout out to you for doing what you do for Kentucky golf. I know you're reluctant to admit it, yeah, but stop. <laughs> you, 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 you do a lot, and I certainly notice it and appreciate it. I think we all do. You uh, spread some good word about a lot of the good things going on with the sport and the state. Well, I'll, and then, I'll stop you there and tell you who really gets the credit for that. That's um, Mo Dimlin. And now I can't remember Ron's name. You know, you might know who I'm talking about. From they started a website 15 years ago, Golf Links Kentucky. It was their, it was the original two guys, two retired guys going around the state, and they would post reviews. Oh, the shite. The, 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 yeah, and they had a forum, so they got, they kind of aged out and stopped traveling, but they left a forum. There was a an old school message board. Mm-hmm. And some new guys kind of came in, and it was a really avid golf community in Kentucky. It We did, you know, this was when new courses were still opening, and so you'd get condition reports, and you get kind of you'd, the first guy that would go play that. And it really was a great, inclusive community. You know, we would get together. Um, there's a, a man out of Cincinnati that would... Uh, Jason Thurman, and he would kind of get us together. He kind of brought a golf club atlas aspect to it, um, you know, of talking about the architecture and highlighting courses. And then, you know, in the Great Recession, that kind of died away, and and you know, my my scrapbook that became a blog 
kind of, I guess, is filling that space now. But I, I appreciate your kind words. That's very nice of you. And I'm, I'm proud to, to, you know, hold the banner for my home state and these golf courses I love. But um, there was somebody before me. I'm not, I'm not original. I'm just doing it oh, now. You, uh, you do a good job, even if you're not the first. You do a good job. But uh, just as um, own personal and operational plugs. If you're an amateur in Kentucky, I highly encourage you to check out the AM series. We do a lot of good stuff, and if you're an avid player in it, which we appreciate. Uh, if you know a junior golfer, get them in the Kentucky PGA Junior Tour. We've got tournaments all across the state almost every day in the summer. And then, um, you know, for myself, I've written a lot of articles on there about certain aspects of the golf industry in Kentucky and then people in the state. So if you've got some time to kill while you're in quarantine, head to kygolf.org and check it out. Hopefully there's some stuff in there that you'll learn. Here, here. Uh, those profiles, getting to know the personalities in golf that you might not otherwise know, um, that's, that's nice. That, that really is. So, Ethan, thank you again. Uh, for giving me the time. Uh, good luck. Uh, we're in new territory, I think, organizationally for everybody. So yeah. stay safe, stay sane, um, and thank you once again. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again to Ethan for joining me. He really is great. Uh, he has totally revolutionized the way that the Kentucky golf organizations interact with the public. Social media is now a sweet spot for, I guess, gathering and gleaning information about what's happening in Kentucky golf at every level, uh, from the professional ranks down to their uh, junior tour. It's fun, it's professional, and it really didn't exist uh, at the level it does now just a few years ago. So I hope Ethan stays at Golf House forever, uh, but I fear with his talents he might outgrow us before too long. That's a price of success that'll be well-earned should bigger and better ever come along for him. I'll be rooting for him wherever he ends up. Uh, the PGA Management Program at Eastern Kentucky University, it's the only program available here locally uh, in Kentucky. It's one of only 18 programs nationwide. Uh, to put that in perspective, that makes it much more rare than even something like a meteorology school, which is pretty closely held uh, and monitored. So it's still a relatively rare field of study, uh, kind of a rare specialty. But as you heard Ethan say, it is essentially a marketing degree with a golf focus, with a, a focus on networking and entree into that world, should one so choose. Uh, but it's a credential that's easily portable to the business world, to the corporate world beyond golf. So there are links in the show notes if you're interested for more information about the program, specifically at EKU or some of the other schools that are available through PGA of America. As we discussed, as we discussed briefly near the end, uh, I do play in a lot of amateur events through the Kentucky Golf Association. You know, we have a local golf channel tour and a golf week affiliated tour here, but the, the KGA events are generally at pretty interesting venues. They're well run and they're pretty well attended by a diverse group. And I've made several friends through uh, just playing in those tournaments, seeing the same faces uh, month after month. I'm certainly a better golfer for having played in those events. I mean, there are some real players out there from all walks of life. And the formal competition formats, you know, playing actual golf, playing the ball down, counting every stroke, that cures a vanity handicap faster than instantly. Trust me, I've got some experience there. Whenever golf returns uh, to something approaching normal, I'm going to look forward to getting back out into those AM Series events. I would encourage you to do the same if you're here in Kentucky. For those of you outside the bluegrass, uh, I'd be interested to know what your sort of state and local associations have beyond just the club level. If, they, if you have similar tournaments available to you and what your experiences have been there. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at BlindShotsPod. I'd love to hear about those tournament experiences. A uh, reminder that over at blindshotspodcast.com, you can download episodes of the show directly onto your favorite uh, podcast playing device. I hope you'll subscribe. We're on all the major services, Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Stitcher, Player FM, and on and on. Thanks for stopping by the Blind Shots podcast today. I hope you liked what you heard here and that you'll subscribe. 
Uh, share an episode with your friends. Blast us out on social media. We appreciate all of that. Uh, if you didn't like what you heard here today, sorry. Just like always, I promise we will try to do better next time. I hope you'll join me then. Most importantly, I hope you're being safe and smart and keeping sane out there. We will get through this, and someday this war is going to end. Until then, now that golf courses everywhere seem to be opening up and letting folks get out for a game, do decide to go for it when you get your chance, and take dead aim. That's so rare for you're not from here. We never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs>